Good morning. You're with another segment of Morning Black, new content with our uh, engineer and co-host, Byron Martin. Good morning, Byron. Good morning, Greg. How you doing? This is Greg Jones. We're at WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial, and we have another provocative subject today. I'm going to talk to you a little about, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, something about you, uh, th this new this new content that we want to do today. You you sent me a question, said, how are blacks responded to when uh, they do harm in the black community? How do we just, respond? How, how do we respond to injustices within our own community uh, with and by our own people? How does that work? Yeah, or even just with, or even when blacks are just found wrong, period. Like uh, when members of the African-American community are found wrong, um, in some way, shape, or form. Now, what do you what mean about wrong? What is it? Wrong. Wrong. When they're found like in the wrong, when 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 they when they have been found to violate a a, a social understanding or a social uh, norm stealing um, that is accepted. Theft. Theft. Yeah. Theft. Um, stealing stuff, or even in the just the 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 social sphere of you know what somebody said something uh, off the wall that we don't that communities don't agree with. Or you know they're connected, and what happens to to them in their wrongness and their wrong saying? I, I I attribute that part of this topic to just kind of following the Nick Cannon saga of his statements um, on oh, from a yes, yes. right and 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 how that you know led to Viacom and CBS basically um, firing this man from something that he created, right? Like and so you see these responses that it's like, whoa, that's not a shared response across uh, people, right? That's not an equal um, response typically. So I, I think that's my question. But, what, you know, how, how's that there response? Are, there are a segment of our community that basically, that's a that's a belief system in, in a segment of our community. When we talk about Hebrew mm -hmm. Israelites, when we start talking about individuals who you know, hold the claim that, you know, blacks were the first Hebrews and that miseducation happened um, with uh, Jews, uh, with, with Hebrews outside of Judah and the miseducated with the Canaanite people are basically what we see is called, you know, the Israelites for the day. That That's a, that's a longstanding kind of religious belief within our community. Very longstanding. Very longstanding. And that's why, that's why I think that as as we uh, approach and attack some of these conversations, like those constructs um, start to get interesting, especially how when people disagree with those constructs, how are they disciplined, and and what what comes against them, right? Um, so so give me an example. I mean, I, for, for our uh, listeners, give me an example of what you're talking about. So give me an example, a scenario that we can kind of deconstruct for our listening audience. Um, something as small as theft or something as you know um or something is even sometimes as insignificant as 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 you know having the wrong license plate um or, or out-of-date license plate is has a drastically different punishment or response from the broader community when the individual is black than when they're not right uh, uh you don't see black people being as as concerned about an indiana license plate coming into Illinois, as you see uh, white people concerned about an Illinois license plate being driven by a black person coming into Indiana. Right. 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 I mean, right. you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's as simple as something like that. Or um, but uh, are we talking about a different value system here? Are we talking about a different way of um, our community, the black community, seeing uh, how we value wrongdoing and how we respond to wrongdoing than than white folks, and if so, what what is that? I mean, you know, how do we? I I, I taught a class um, where I talked about Peter Parrish's uh, African virtues, and one of the virtues um, that Peter Parrish says that Africans brought to the country was a public and private ethics that that and what he meant by that how he explained that he said basically that um what we do in public should also balance what we do in private and when that doesn't happen mm -hmm. what the african-americans response is is we don't we don't castigate that individual but what we do do is we separate ourselves from individuals whose public ethic 
or value is different than their private value. We just we just back up. And he uses example as politicians. He says when politicians you say one thing, you know, in public and then do something else in private, then what black people generally do, as opposed to just uh, throw shade on that individual, you know, you know, and say, you know, get away from that individual. We just we just basically mm -hmm. uh, uh, show our discomfort with that with our feet. We just say, OK, well, we ain't hanging out with that guy. Right. That guy, that guy basically, you know, he speaks with forked tongue or whatever. You know, he's, right. he's not or that gal. She's not she's not doing what she says she's going to do when we see her in her private life or him in his private life. They're not articulating the same thing that they're saying publicly you know, as a politician or whatever. That's a very different way of dealing with uh, the ethics of someone being a liar, let's say, or being, you know, telling a mistruth. Then we look at the, the, the white community. Why do you think that is? I think because it's, it's, it's a different way of handling it because um, one, I think the, to put somebody on blast, right? Like there, in, in some cases is, in some cases is a, uh is a declaration of war in some cases okay right like it's it, it it can lead to immense violence um in some ways right and even violence to communities well that's i mean I you know one of, one of the issues that we're dealing with the police now is that this issue of honor that when there is a very very strict code of honor in the african-american community and when you breach that honor code then there are certain ways in which we are mandated to respond because of, you know, you dishonoring me or you disrespecting me. Um, right. Would you use that as, is that one example of that? Is, am I, I getting close to perfect, it? I, I actually think that's a perfect example, right? Like there, there is a, there is a code, especially in the black community is that, you know, it's, there's no snitching. Right. Right. There's, there's a code. No, don't, don't, no snitching. Right. Like, you know, if it needs to be handled inside the community, it's handled inside the community. But like, we're not going to go like we're not going to go and snitch and bring in some authority version or some authority figure that doesn't have any um, care, immense care for the community. Right. It's very rare that we get into the situation where we want to bring that that presence of those individuals into the space. So white people totally don't understand that one. I mean, they totally I mean, you know, if you listen to uh, uh, the media, if you listen to, you know, social media, the kinds of things and and, and the police response to the no stitching uh, snitching kind of um, perspective, they really don't get that one at all. They really don't know what's the fundamental um, misplay there that that doesn't allow white people to understand that. Um. I think it's it's a different it's a different uh, trust narrative inside of the uh, authority presence uh, inside of the American context, right? Like there's uh, black and white people have a drastically different experience with um, governmental and social authority um, than white people do. Um, part of that is because if we really want to get down, I think to the sociological constructs that are and anthropological constructs that are underpinning it. Um, it's there's a different social contract between uh, black people and the America and America and white people in America. And that social contract is, is social contract has been built off of a history that is drastically different for those two in, in, in America. And so I think that is what leads to the to the clause, the direct clause, you know, no, no snitching, right? Like, because we have a different social contract at play, right? When, when a, a, a white person calls the police to the scene, they know that they'll be heard um, as the, as the individual that uh, is victim or are victimized in that situation. Black people can't always be assured of, of that, of that reality. Um, there's a video that I saw circulating about a guy who had an alarm system and his alarm system had gone off. He had, you know, he was, he worked, uh, night. So during the day, his alarm system went off because, you know, somebody didn't shut his door appropriately. You know, the door didn't latch all the way. Alarm goes off. He calls the alarm company. Then he just tries to push the door back closed and he's going back to sleep. The cops come in and 
like they yelling at him, yelling at him, who's in there, who's in there? He's like, I'm here and I'm, you know, I'm fine. And, and they were like, no, come down. And he's like, I got my gun. Like, y'all need to be careful. I got my gun because he didn't know it was the police. And so they're coming down. He's like, no, drop the gun, sir. Drop the gun. And he drops the gun. Then he walks towards the police officer. He's like, hey, what are you doing here? He's like, this is my house, right? And they get into this whole fiasco. They end up dragging this man outside in his in his drawers um, yeah. in front of his neighbors, right? And it's like, no, I, I live here. So even if that is a, a perfect example of what happens when, um, to demonstrate, there's a different social construct, right? Like, I think if, if if a white guy was saw to be in his drawers, like in the house, even with the alarm going off, he'd be like, hey, is this your house? You know, can you, you know, show me this is your house? You got any ID? Yeah, I have ID. Okay. Um, you know, how do you get, you know, can I, let me walk up with you and get the ID? ABC. You know, there's a different way of encountering those spaces and, and, and feelings of safety. So I think that's, that's at play. One of the, one of the things that I, I've saw that, you know, speaks to that to me in a very sensitive way is it's this new group out. Um, it's a group of uh, mental health and social workers called cahoots. And basically they, they follow the police, you know, they, you mm. know, they, 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 they say, well, we're going to be, we're going to watch, and monitor how you're going to treat folks because half the people that you're dealing with are people who uh, have mental health issues, have emotional issues. And so your response to it is is inappropriate in terms of, you know, how you need to respond to it. So it's a multicultural group, you know, basically, and, and basically they are attaching themselves to, you know, certain uh, uh, police forces. There was just recently the guy that went to the, was going, trying to get to the hospital, the Hispanic guy that was trying to get to through the emergency room and who comes and greets him, basically, and they have the, the cameras for this, you know, who comes and greets him is basically security guards and basically security guards and law enforcement basically treat him like a perp but when he's basically on his knees saying i need to get i'm sick you know i need to get into the emergency room i'm not you know i'm staggering yeah you know i'm, I'm having some problems yeah but i'm not here to hurt anybody i just need some help and uh it was even what was more more egregious is who the the person who was filming this taking place was she was being blocked or he was being blocked by a nurse from the emergency room and still in the nurse looking mm -hmm. at the guy. The nurse is there trying to stop the person from seeing the police officers put their knee on this guy's neck, you know, on the ground and, you know, to, to stop the feminine. So I agree with you that the whole notion in terms of how people are socialized in order to deal with, you know, how one is deemed to be wrong or out of order in relationship to society. It has a lot to do with how society has been coached historically to respond to basically people of color. Yeah. No, and I think I think that's the so that's the that's the interesting conversation, right? That's where that's where we have to situate this this conversation, I think, for today is that that differing response uh is at, at its core one of the most egregious forms of one of the most egregious forms and displays of there being two different Americans. That's 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 the the fulcrum, the 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 catalyst for the disparities mm -hmm. that we see. Right now, so it leads to the question of why why is there such a difference? And I think it's social contract, but I think the other piece is I think in America we're having a really really difficult problem reimagining. Um, black people like i think we <laughs> and, and as far away as we are even from slavery right like we're we're more than 150 years from from being freed right from this notion of slavery but the issue is that i think the american psyche is having a very difficult time reimagining black people not being um in a property or a paternalistic relationship with white people well, I mean, we, we've seen we've we've been watching this. We, uh, the, the guy that got shot in Texas, you know, by the police officer, you know, um, the woman that was in Louisville that got basically shot by a police officer. We see this over and over and over again, played in scenario. One of the questions I have for you, though, is uh, what are some of the basic intrinsic values that are enforced within and surrounding the black community that we that are different 
that that allows for humanity to come through even in the midst of error being made what are some mm. of the intrinsic values that we say even if you see me you say you say you watch me you see me do something wrong you say well okay i, I saw greg do something but this is how i'm gonna handle that wrongdoing that i see him involved in or participating in or whatever what are some of those values that you bring to the table that we as a community bring us to the table that allows us to allow humanity to to come through in our relationships to dealing with injustice yeah i think one of the major one of the major values that we have is this this uh this high hope for change right like so the, at, at the basic level and I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. And, and there probably needs to be some, some ongoing research on this. But I think even at the most base level, Black people believe that change can occur, right? We believe at our, at our most base level that um, change is something that is possible to happen, right? Like that at, eventually, at some level, somehow, um, we have the hope that change can occur, that even if this individual is... I don't want to say if they're, you know, so far gone, but let's say this individual is not in, um, you know, practical relationship, you know, with us. We believe um, even if they're doing something wrong, that with the right care and the right love that something can change this individual. We believe we have hope and we believe in change. I think that's what made uh, 07, 08, that election time of Barack Obama, like something that was so real for black people, because I think in, in, intrinsically we have hope uh, of change, right? Right. And regardless of the regardless of of the regardless of the odds that are stacked against us, we believe that as long as we stay present in in a space that that space can change. And we, we believe in second chances. We believe in giving people a second chance. I think or is it, we, is it more than that? I think it's a little bit, I would say it's a little bit more than that. I think it's more about, um, we definitely see most of, I would say mostly, we definitely see that there's good in people intrinsically. We, we believe there's good in people. Even white people. Yeah. Wow. Which, 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 well, and, and here's, and here's the case for that, right? Like, that's why um we haven't torn and, the country and, apart and, well and i think i think exactly and i think farrakhan leads to this right like like our our nature is is the black nature is good in in even its 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 understandings of the world and its viewpoint of the world because like as much harm and as wrongdoing that has come to black people from the hands of europeans and those of european descent you do not see an attitude of immense vengeance and of immense destruction for white people coming out of uh, the black reality. You you won't see like, and you haven't seen like black leaders like on the whole that are talking about we're gonna go do harm to white people. We might it might be something about hey, um, you know, just uh, you know, stay out of our face, or we don't need to be in uh, you know, we don't need to be in direct um, relationship with you. But you never see an offensive form of violence being talked about from black leadership towards towards uh whites and, and and folks of european descent right even even with the immense amount of hate and vitriol um and 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 dehumanization that we've experienced at the hands of white people so so it really boils down to that honor thing again you know like you know if you dishonor me now if they if they if you disrespect me in a certain way then there's cer certain principles that kick in in terms of my self esteem my self worth my self respect that 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 I'm going to adhere to and I'm thinking about the young man that got shot and killed in front of the store when the when the guy was messing with his wife you know and and basically you know the guy was you know he wasn't handicapped you know he was crippled and basically, the the black guy ran up to him, and said, "Hey, man, you know, you, you can't talk and you know get in my wife's face like that." And he pushed him, and he fell down. The guy pulls out a pistol, and shoots him several times, and he dies in the store. I don't know if you remember that, but it's one of many murders that have taken place. And basically, they said the guy was 
respond and stand your ground. And, you know, he was doing his self-defense thing. But the, the reason why the guy responded that way was because there was a disrespect toward his family. It was a disrespect toward mm -hmm. him. Okay. Um, but I want to take this historical a bit. But even but even then, it wasn't to do harm. No, right? no. It was to reset the boundaries of where somebody should be. Absolutely. 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 That's what I'm talking about. So so that's mm -hmm. when that comes into play. OK, so we, we talk a lot about remember uh, we talk about Black Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. Are you telling me that that community. Didn't anticipate the kind of virile violence that was perpetrated on them because of their ability to produce wealth. They no one saw that coming. I don't. I I I don't think that I would say nobody saw it coming in terms of like in terms of some acts of hate or some acts of violence. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is um, their response to that, I mean, it has been completely different, right? It's saying, hey, you need to pay for what you broke and how you broke it, but we're not we're not looking to go to war with you over this. We're not looking to like totally and utterly destroy you. We're not looking to go an eye for an eye. And that's a that's a basic value difference that African Americans have from European Americans. Yeah. What's another? Yeah. Um that's a that's a good I, I think a I'll probably say another one that's probably fairly strong is uh <laughs> this is gonna sound wrong. I think we like African Americans value a high level of cleanliness. Like okay. high level of, of cleanliness. Say more. And, what do you and mean? I connect this to like to just the, the concept of being clean, the concept of 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 not existing in filth or in dirt or in um dramatic levels of of disarray. Like there's a there's a there's a there's a high level and high appreciation for um just being keeping themselves up if that makes sense oh okay the, are you talking about you're talking about personal abolition you're talking about in terms yeah. of how well i think, I think it spreads to the yes that but i think it spreads to the community mindset right it spreads to a communal mindset about about care well okay um, now now you and, gotta and, be careful here i want you i want you to let's talk about this a bit because what appears to be clean is not necessarily clean right 100 when we look at oh yeah so you know just because you got neat lawn right no 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 i'm not even i'm not i, I ain't even dealing with that. About, i'm not even dealing with that what i'm what i'm dealing with it it, it exposes a higher level of care i'll give you this got um, you. okay i got you i got you we 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 Black people have this really, really uh, uh, immense care for older people in our families and, and in our Got communities. You. Right? Got you. Okay. Like we have this immense care. We won't let our, um, you know, our our elders and our babies just sit and stew um, in spaces. In a lot of cases, like in black families, like the that that individual is being brought in, right? Like we're not we're not putting our older folks away because they're hard to care for. We have an immense level of care that is just kind gotcha. of sewn in to our communal thing. And I think it, it comes from a, a, a it comes from a, a individual construct of like cleanliness, right? But it exposes a communal concept of not existing in um in unclear um relationships with one another. We're very clean and clear on our relationship ties, right? Like black people are probably the best at what we call DTR, defining the relationship. It's something that we are very, very, very clear on, right? We're, we're, we're clear how we're gonna exist in those relationships and what those relationships mean 
uh, to each and every one of us, right? And so when when we look at society as a whole, it it appears that that's not the case, that it's messy. It's basically cluttered. It's basically imbalanced. I mean, you know, you hear right. Native Americans talk about that a lot and say that well, the basic problem is that there's this tremendous imbalance that Europeans bring into the environment. They bring a bizarro world, if you will, you know, where, right. where things just, there, there are edges and there are, are, are uh, measurements, but they're all off. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was speaking of, you know, our, our native brothers and sisters, our indigenous brothers and sisters. One of the things that um, I was reading this, listening to this podcast, and they read this quote from one of the earlier, you know, chiefs during the time when, you know, white people were coming over and making these really bum deals with, with Native American folks. But, um, it, you know, this guy's basically quoted this, 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 this chief was voted, was, was, was quoted um, with the statement. He's like, you know, these, 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 these white people do weird things, you know, right. They, they, um, they don't, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they don't take care of their women and their women don't have a voice, but then they sleep in the same space with their animals. And, and yeah. so like, he was like, he was saying, this is strange stuff. This is really strange, strange stuff. stuff. This strange is strange stuff. stuff, right? Like, you know, that was one of the things that they were put out. Like, like, their women don't have voices, right? Like, and one of the things that, you know, they were like kind of contrasting was this governance, right? Like um, who is in relationship with um, these individuals and the clarity of that is so interesting and bizarre um, from from the constructs of our white brothers and sisters. And so I don't I I, I I'm careful at saying trying to map it out to the entire uh, population, but I think one of the things that we see is there a central um, view, a central understanding, a central uh, connectivity that is that is vastly different. Right. I got you. I got you. You're listening to WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. This is Morning Black, and we're talking about uh, how values are gauged and assessed and uh, dealt with in the African-American community. And how is that different? How do we see when we see wrong, uh, wrong things done and justice is done? How, how do we measure up? How do we embrace them? How do we make changes in those kinds of things? One of the questions that I have for you is. How does the black community address the distorting images created by white supremacy in American cultural society? How, I mean, uh, as a community, how have you uh, seen our community respond to those distorted images? Um, the, I'm not talking about how individuals do it, but as a community, how do you know? We say, no, no, that just ain't right. If you had to look at certain images that white supremacy has displayed, you know, to the world, to themselves, to our community, what are some of the distortions there that we've responded to and how we responded to, to it? Mm. That's a deep, deep question. I think, well, one of yeah. the things that, <laughs> I think one of the things that we have to be careful of is, and that happens a lot, is um, we, we misplace our understanding of the distortions as actually being our reality versus talking our reality. So one of the dangers is that we do accept some of these images in, as as the truth, right? One of the biggest, like I, one of the things that drives me up a wall, right? Like so, we'll say things like um, there are more um, black men in 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 prison than there are in um, in the universities in, in college. Okay. Right. That's 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 one thing that gets commonly said, right? And that stat is so incorrect. Right? That stat that stat is completely incorrect. Now, percentage wise, right, the percentage of representation the percentage of black men in prison is higher than um than the percentage of uh black people in the universities percentage. Right. So the percent of black men represented in the prison system as one percentage is a higher number than the percentage of black men represented in the university. In the university. System. Right. But that's not overarching 
a higher number of black that's kids, not actual right? that's not actual that's populations that's not actual that's not, exactly. demographic okay. exactly and so okay. that's so like those images when we accept those types of things and we can simplify that and 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 simplify that to um things like you know even what does it mean to be black what does it look like to be black right like what's what what is black culture versus what is um you know uh um a black reality, right? Like so, I this is, ah, I wish I had my <laughs> wish I had a, a good anthropologist friend of mine, uh, Alicia Wynn. Alicia would you know break apart some of these images. Like we'll try to offer these images up as if they're cultural, and they're not cultural, right? They are um, they are responses to uh, unhealthy reality, right? So. So people like Michelle Alexander and um, um, Ibram Kende, those individuals who give us uh, a a perspective, they're taken completely out of context. Michelle Alexander's work was basically taken completely out of context, is is what you're saying. When she when she talks when she talks about when she talks about uh, the school to prison pipeline, people are not understanding what she's trying to say. In the general population. Oh, I mean, I think I think she's yeah, she she and sometimes her work is misunderstood. Right. Um, I don't know if it's out of context. I think I think the I mean people take it out of context. It's not out, it's not out of context. People take oh, it out yeah, of yeah. context. I mean, just like yeah. people say when people say uh, uh most black men are in prison. You know, right. where you get where you getting that figure from? Right. You where know, you how, getting that figure from, where you getting that understanding from. Now it you know, might be presented to you in images that most black men are in prison, but that's not that's not the case, right? That right. is not that is not that is not the lived reality. Um, you know, uh, images about you know what is black culture, right? We have to d- distinguish between what actually black culture is, aka created by black people. Um, utilized and functional by Black people versus um, what has been consumerized and pushed to Black communities. You mean like hypersexuality? Isn't that one of them? Isn't that one yeah. of the, the myths? I mean, you know, right. when, we, yeah. when we start talking about the, uh, um, the sensuality of the culture, that's being misplayed. That's being misunderstood. Well, and, and right. And, and, and played and, as a and, norm. Well, and that's what I'm saying, like, in terms of images, right, that's played off as if there is um, a lustful intent around the way we exist. Right. Right? Right. Like, it's, it, it turns from, you know, I guess the construct of what they would call dirty art, right? Okay. Like, is is like what kind of people trying to put on some of those things. So I think it's yeah, it's not realistic, but we have to couch those, right? I think your question, going back to your question specifically, is how do we couch those different things? How do we couch something that is um, a a, uh, a white supremacist delivered image to us, uh, a whitewashed image to us versus what is really um, our image of self and how that is then produced out? Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? I mean, when we start talking about taking another community's perspective in terms of value and placing it upon ourselves and in our community, and it it, it may or may not reflect any part of reality of that community, then that's a problematic for real, isn't it? Well, and I and I think that's where we that's where, you know, we have to get back into an investment into curating ourselves versus letting ourselves be curated through um, systems that don't have our best interests in mind and, and at heart, right? Like, so I, I think one of the, for instance, this show, right? The Morning Black, right? If this show, if let's say we do two hours of conversation and then we give it to somebody to edit the conversation, right? If the person we give that, if the person we give that um, show to is not black, there might be some nuance or some understanding 
some cultural understanding that's not picked up and not then transferred into the edited version of this show, right? And that would, be prob- that would be problematic, right? It'd be problematic with understandings how the show is represented, uh, especially when if you then give this show to um, the Black community and says, here, this is curated for you, right? The issue that it then becomes is they see and hear these voices and these faces that are representative say might say some things or give some nuance that isn't uh, very true and honest inside of that realization, right? And that happens um, when I when I say something that's curated. That can happen if that's not present, right? If there's not uh, oversight and true black voices all the way through the the reality, the, the, live, the live product, yeah. So okay, so so then okay, let's stay on the show for example. So so then, the the value of the show could be lost because of the trauma of the deconstruction of the white supremacist ideology and, and the reality. I mean, you know, the the trauma the trauma of hearing a narrative that's counter to what you have perceived to be normed over a period of generations could make people say well we didn't understand what he was talking about we we don't get why they why they see a value that's different than our value when we aspire to be the same thing whole host of kinds of pushbacks that basically um are resistant to the deconstruction of a white supremacist reality that has been embedded for generation after generation yeah i think i think what you're yeah i think what you're describing is the lack of intercultural competence that um, others might have to be able to holistically walk into the shoes and understand um, why somebody might present from that standpoint and from that level of understanding. I think that's that's a lack of cultural competence. Um, and it, you know, in in its purest and plainest form, right? If I can't if I can't hear and and engage in the topic that is presented by some people of another culture because it is in direct conflict with um my own right or it's not even in direct conflict it questions the reality of my own then that's a lack of intercultural competence and if right. i if i if i'm willing to kill or if i'm willing to injure or brutalize because of of that fear of that uh resistance to someone challenging you know my intercultural kind of interactions then that reflects a pathology tremendously yeah. does it not no it does and i think that's that's that leads us circular back to you know some of these pieces right like so when we are willing to engage in some level of harm simply because uh somebody does not um present their guys or their views or their understanding of the world in the same way that i do um Right. I, I think that's where we get into that. But people fight over history all the time, though. Right. Sure. Like, I, think sure. That's the, I think that's the that's that's the danger. Right. Because in the world, like, you know, we got to understand history is always written by the victor. Right. Like, I mean, you know, if I, <laughs> you know, if I if I if I win the war. Right. You guarantee you I get to write the history and the narrative that's going to be used. Right. You- now, there might be. Uh- Collingwood said, he who controls the past controls the presence. And he who controls the presence controls the future. So yep. if you can if you can control the past, then you can manipulate outcomes in the present. And if you can manipulate outcomes in the present, you can ensure those outcomes will maintain themselves in the future. In other words, your control of the past allows you to, to, to reach into the future and say, this is the way this has always been. You know, now... Right. How how do you counter narrative that though? I mean, as a community of folks, historically, we've been we've we we set in the in the midst of folks who historically have been about the business of setting the standard or or, or at least attempting to set the standard. What is it in our values in in our morals that allows us to successfully do counter narrative so that we can yeah. implant? Uh, in our children, in our in our legacy, the attitudes that allow them to in 2021, even after we've been fighting for over 
450 years, they still have the ability to say Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I, I think the, the counter narrative for us comes from our ability to do just that, right? The counter narrative doesn't have to be very, very long. It just has to be strong. <laughs> okay. Right? okay. Right, and I think that that's a that's a that's a innate skill that 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 Black people have, right? Like we have we have mastered the ability to shorten, um, you know, uh, statements, phrases, whole stories into like one-liners, right? Into like, you know, immense like quick sayings that we can just remind each other of, um, you know, that are real quickly. I, I'll, get, I'll give you the, 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 a prime example, right? Like, um, uh, hey, follow the drinking gourd. Right. Right? right. Like that, what do you, that, <laughs> if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you know what I'm talking about, Follow oh, the drinking board. I, you you, you know exactly what I'm what I'm talking about, right? Like, oh, yeah. and that's and, and so our ability to couch the counter narrative in very uh, short, usable understandings is is so powerful, right? Like, it's I, you know I think I think about my dad. You know, my dad. Everybody's like Byron. You know, North. Everybody like Byron. You got all these sayings, these weird Texas sayings. I'm like, they're oh, they're like I just get them from my dad. Like it's something that's been passed down. In the family, like her name is fun when the rabbit's got the gun, right? Like that's mm -hmm. that's that's something that's just passed down, right? But if you understand what I'm talking about, you and if you can get the quick metaphor that's there, then you you understand, right? I think it's those types of things that allow us to couch the counter narrative in such a way that it can persist, right? If we have to spend this large, expansive narrative machine to be in conflict with uh, this larger narrative machine that is. Uh, white supremacy on this continent, we would not have a chance to do that. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough people, and we would be always in direct conflict. The counter narrative has to slash in such a way that uh, it gets in and gets out. Right? It's it's a uh, it's a psychological guerrilla uh, warfare technique, uh, okay. so to speak. Right? Okay. That's how well, I would phrase it. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I find that fascinating. You know, looking at, for example. Um, first year programs and and how much emphasis uh is being placed on uh writing and meaning and you know being able to come up with you know more and more layered kinds of ways in on in understanding our reality and then i look at this counter narrative almost that we see being played out where people are being very concise very very articulate very very and changing meaning changing words changing the way words are spelled changing what the the, the value of all, uh, those are in the context in, in a totally different context and we see we see come to play what uh jacob carruthers talked about which was basically in his in his work intellectual warfare that basically what we see is a narrative being supported and perpetrated economically militarily spiritually culturally by a oppressive society and we see a valiant and effective resistance being done by people in our community who says now nah, we don't necessarily have to fit inside that narrative we can actually survive and thrive by creating a counter narrative that allows us to reset the values of uh, understanding what is wrong and what is right Within our community, would mm -hmm. would you would you agree with that? I I would, um, and I I think I do. I just think how it's done is the, the I think that's the art. Well, I think that's the art of 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 can we, how black people exist in this country. Can we do this at at, at predominantly white universities? I think we are doing it. <laughs> oh, we are doing that. Predominantly white I, I think I, I think we are. Right now, I I think the question is, can we do this in an open and demonstrative way? Can we do this and claim that we are doing this at a white institution? That's a different conversation. Well, see, I, that's and it, it takes me back to you know the whole Black Wall Street thing. The moment that people went public in terms of wealth building, drama showed up big time. Yeah. Yep. Are we facing the eventuality of drama showing up as mm. we continue as we continue to challenge in some fundamental ways people understanding 
what what the values are and relationships are in our community that's contrary to their particular narrative oh i i mean well so you're you, now in especially when you talk about the academy i think you're talking about um are black people afforded the same level of intellectual curiosity and freedom that white people are? No. And the answer to that is, 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 is not just no, it's hell no. Hell no. Let's yeah, say it like, again. I, Let's say it together. Hell, hell no. Okay. Yeah, like, no. I, 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 I don't think they are, right? Like, and, and, and that goes back to, like, this, 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 this concept of what happens when you're wrong. Right. In, in quotes of being wrong, right? Like, what happens to, to black voices in black lives when they're considered wrong or incorrect, right? Or or invalid in some sort of way, um, because it actually serves as a counter narrative to the, the status quo. Um you think of uh uh you think of you know such such writers as um a Du Bois who was like who was very critical on even some of the um some of the anthropologic and, and sociological things that were happening in the early 20th century, right? And was very critical of those things in his writings, right? But was seen not as, that writing was not seen as, as being right or as not being researched or as being empirically strong um, because it came as a critique to um, the, the status quo, to the, to the larger narrative, right? Even, even in spaces where we're trying to um, that are dedicated at these white institutions to upholding the counter narrative, right? There still has to be a level of concern and fear of the backlash that comes um, at the hands of existing in that counter narrative, right? And being that place that, that pushes that. So you're, I mean, I'm in a, a place that's titled the Gandhi King Center for Diversity and Global Engagement, but we have to understand that. Great, if I use if I use King's true words and I use Gandhi's true words um, to a certain extent, I will have to experience backlash. I will get beat down by the academy if I'm using their true words and if I'm using their true statements it, every single day of the week. If we exist in those things, I I, I wouldn't make it. Right. So, and so you have to code that. Do you code that? Oh, I 100 percent code it. Yes, 100 percent. And 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 I don't mind saying that I code it because guess what? I know, you know, unless you're in an educational space with me, you'll never understand the code anyway. Right. OK. All right. <laughs> right. I, I mean, unless unless you know it, unless you're one of the teachers of the said code. But mm -hmm. we code stuff all the time. Right. Like we. We call it, we code it all the time, right? When I say, I don't say, oh, hold up, you gotta watch out, 12's on the way. You know who 12 is, mm. right? <laughs> now, we that's coded language, right? Now, if you know who that is, right? Like, then you might be able to have that conversation. But if you don't, then then you don't. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and, that, and that's part of the joy of, of being, um, you know, I, I say black people in American, especially in American context, are linguists, are some of the greatest linguists that we've ever seen, right? Like, what do you talk about? We took the English language and created a whole dialect out of nothingness, right? And now there's a there's a whole dialect of the English language that we have that uh, is called Ebonics, but like it's really a, a a social urban dialect that we've created to have. Uh, special conversations with one another that nobody else really can uh, eavesdrop into, right? Not as easily as they might want to. And so when people say such things as this broken English, I, was, I just start to laugh and say, no, it's a dialect of English. The, the beauty of it being a dialect is that if you are in the inner group, you can have a conversation um, in the face of folks in the outer group and be safe and, and know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I mean, you know, I think you've you've you you've touched upon something there that that's very very profound. I mean, you know, so when we talk about um, how people create languages and develop communication techniques in order to survive, I think when you talk about the African American, you're talking about a serious expert at being able to not just create new language, but to modify existing language and and, and codify it in such a way that it sets new value. 
inside the context of community. And it has right. a different value outside of that community than inside that community, which is, no, it's, it's, it, which is extraordinary, which is an extraordinary yeah. kind of move, you know? Yeah, because so, I can come to you and I'll say, hey, the oven's on, and you know what the deal is. Right, right, right. And we got a host of other kinds of things that are going oh. on, you know. Now, month, now, now that has that that now that has some generational stuff, because you know every every generation had its own set of language codes that it utilized in order to navigate its space. And as as people got older, they passed on down some. Some were transformed. Some new codes were created to deal with new situations. All of that is a part of the value system that's in play in the African-American space, in the African-American community, you know? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> language is directly, I, I mean, if we want to talk about it, language is created out of value. Yeah. Say more about that. I, I think when we think about the, 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 the creation of language, it is created out of a sense of what we value. And so we give specific names and important things to the things that we value or the things that could cause the things that we value harm. So we give um, specific um, language uh, to those things. I think you can see it in how, even how children pick up language, right? They pick up the language of the things that are most valuable to them at first, right? And then once they picked up the language of the things that's most valuable to them, then they add other, uh, you know, bits and parts of language uh, as as they go, but the most valuable thing um, that they you know that they pick up are, are important language are important uh, 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 terms and tools that are of most value to them. Right. So so when we're talking about white supremacy and dealing with white supremacy, dismantling it, deconstructing it, and changing it, one of the things that um, our allies have to understand are the people who claim that they are a part of the same struggle. One of the things that they have to understand is the reality of how this language and the control and the need to control the language is very much a part of the struggle that's going on in our community and in the community at large. There, yeah. there is a there is a very present resistance to uh, dealing with the values, the value added language that we've created that's important in order to uh, to identify our reality as opposed to what white supremacists do in order to control language, in order to keep white supremacy within the framework and construct of how people are relating and, and defining self and defining others. Oh, huge. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the, one of the strongest forms of uh, colonization and, and the need to conquer. If, if, I mean, this is even biblical, right? If you, if you think about it, like, when the uh, three Hebrew boys were were brought into captivity into Babylonian captivity, right? Um, they first thing that they changed was their names, right? Right. right? We we call them, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's not their Hebrew names. No. Right. So the first thing that, that gets changed is their names. The second thing that gets taken away is uh, uh, their language, right? And so they have to learn how to exist in a Babylonian linguist space. That's why they change their names to Babylonian names, right? So that the next thing that gets taken is their language. And the final thing that gets taken, um, truthfully, is their God. Right. Right. So if you could take, take those three, really, I would say language. Um, so name, which is including language, land, and, and, and Lord. If you could take the language, land, and Lord from, from a group of people, like, what are you talking about? You conquered them, right? Right, and you don't, and, so, and you don't, and you don't have to watch them because and you don't have to watch them now because, no, they, no, because they'll they're, reinforce the value of the conqueror because you have assimilated them into just like the Borg. You have assimilated them into your into your construct, right? Language, uh, land, and Lord, right? And so, um, truthfully, in black people in America have contended with this inside of inside of the world for a really long time but i think it's it's incredibly powerful how black people have managed to slip and still hold on to some of the even the language um that came from the motherland and even the way that we interact with some of those pieces from um the land in which we were stolen even to this day not not a lot 
right? Not a lot to say that we're not conquered, but it's been amazing to see that. And so um, as we talk about this movement, as we talk about moving forward, especially with allies, one of the things that allies have to be careful of is that you don't encroach upon the language, the land, right, and the Lord. But see, that's a, that's a difficult that's a difficult thing for folks who who even claim that they want to be helpful because basically the only tools that they have are tools that do just that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I remember I just had a conversation with an individual, and I was saying to him, saying, "Well, you know." Uh, it, the individuals asked me, said, well, how can we help? What can we do? What, you know, what, what, you know, what can we do inside the community and things of that nature? I said, well, you got to come to class. And it was astonished look on the individual's face. And he said, well, what, what do you, class? I mean, I, 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 I want to bring some, I said, no, 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 no. I said, you have to come <laughs> and sit down and retool and deconstruct the way that you think about what the relationship ought to be before you can do anything that's going to be viable. You have to re yeah. relearn a proper language to really understand into how to participate, which means that you got to deconstruct all of that that you've had in terms of white supremacy and the language sure. that you use in order to understand how the problem solve. That has to be deconstructed before any positive thing can really take place. Oh, yeah. No, and and that's why even such thing as like uh, uh, freedom schools, but then even you know outside of the freedom schools, even during the civil rights movement, one thing that they said that well, we got to take, we have to do some extensive training because if we're going to be nonviolent, they you know they were saying we got to do some training with black people. We if we're going to have white white counterparts with us, we definitely have to do some training in terms of uh, their ability to be nonviolent. Why do we have to do that training? Because it's not in the nature of what they've been taught and what they've been experienced to, right? Like is the something else in their nature has been um has been fed, has been encouraged, has been brought to the forefront. And so it's not in their nature um to be nonviolent. So we gotta rebuild that and tool that back into their nature. They they said that, hey, if we're gonna be nonviolent, we gotta do something different. We gotta teach it. And so I think that's the same same constructs, right? Same there's gotta construct. be something there's gotta be something else in the nature that is then presented. Um, in in the world and, and presented for people to attach with. It's very possible that people could could have had a lifetime with the, the Gandhis and the Kings and the Mandelas and the various leaders who have been doing extraordinary have done extraordinary things, uh, and not know the language that they were using in order to produce the resistance and produce the kind of communities and movements that they could, it's, it's very possible because of the white supremacy narrative that they have, these folks can move through history. I'm talking about people outside the community now, not inside the community, mm-hmm. could could be using their names and label the name Gandhi, you know, King, blah, 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 this, that, and have no idea of the depth and the breadth and the height and the length of what those kinds of teachings was 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 given to us as a community. You believe that? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to contend with that because the okay. danger is that even in spaces like the Gandhi King Center, the danger is that you can bring individuals in and individuals have been brought in that don't seek to understand the language. Right, I agree. And, and so, if it's so not, they can miss it's, it. It's just, it's just a, yeah. it's just a, it's just a marquee. It's just a, it's right. just a picture. Right. Everybody, everybody that's, everybody that's related to the center, doesn't understand the meaningful language and values that those individuals bring to the life of that center. Is what right. I'm saying. No, hundred percent. And that's the danger, right? Like that's that's dangerous because the 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 that means that a center that's dedicated for or spaces that are dedicated for movements that are dedicated for the freedom of individuals can become uh traps and prisons of the status quo because simply the individuals that are leading those spaces have not totally removed themselves from uh needing to be filled and fueled by uh the status quo 
Well, it looks like we have our work cut out for us in terms of developing new mechanisms by which people begin to uh, evolve values that will be akin to the development and quality of life of our community. Thank you so much for these insights, my brother. This we need to talk yeah. more about this, and we need yeah, to create. Yeah, we kind of went all over the place, but I think you know, I think that sometimes we, it's good just to go. It's it's good just to go sometimes. Until next time, we'll have another far-reaching conversation about the values and development of the African American community. Thanks for listening. Morning Black.